Hey, you're listening to the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. My name is Matthew Lilly. I'm the host of another podcast called Presence Pioneers. But we have this House of Prayer Leadership Podcast for you as a resource for leaders who are hosting prayer meetings in their city. These are recordings provided by Brad Stroop from the Prayer Room in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. And he's allowed us to take these training recordings and provide them to you as a free resource on this House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. Now, these are a number of years old, but they're going to provide some amazing practical training for anyone who's trying to organize people to pray, especially for multiple prayer meetings every week. And so we wanted to provide these to you as a resource, and I hope they're super helpful for you. We're so thankful to Brad Stroop and the Prayer Room in Dallas-Fort Worth for allowing us to repurpose these trainings. And if you'd like to connect to a podcast that's putting out new content on a regular basis, then we would love to have you also join us for the Presence Pioneers podcast, which is available on all platforms and is also available at presencepioneers.org. And the heart of the Presence Pioneers podcast is to equip you to host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. And so we have Bible teachings as well as interviews with leaders in the worship and prayer movement to help inspire you and equip you to host the presence of God. Please enjoy this session of the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast with Brad Stroop. Organizing people to pray. Session three, administrating the sacred trust. Okay, so here's what we've got so far. Session one, more or less, what is the sacred trust and, uh, and, and why? Session two, getting people on board with the vision to help you actually build the sacred trust so that it's not just you and you know, two of your friends, but you've actually got a system of getting more and more people to, uh, to uh, be on it. Um, regarding the vision side of things, casting the vision, giving people the clarity. What we're going to do here in session three is great. You actually had somebody sign up for sacred trust. Now, what do you do with them? Like, how does that work? How, how, how do the nuts and the bolts of the system actually work uh, from the administrative side? So we already covered the vision side. Now we're covering the administrative side. How does this work? So, uh, it's, it's a system of accountability, really. Because once you've got somebody that they've made a commitment, now you want to help them keep the commitment. So you don't want them to just, uh, you know, haphazardly have said, yeah, I'll sign up for a prayer meeting on Tuesday. And then uh, there's never uh, any follow-up ever uh, on whether they actually come on Tuesday next week. So uh, what we're going to do in this session is cover just some of the ins and the outs of how that works. And then at the Q&A time, if you guys have any questions on uh, stuff that we didn't cover uh, in the session, uh, you know, regarding maybe questions that you might have about how to administrate things or whatever, ask them and, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about them a little bit. So system of accountability. It's important that when you're asking people to make such a strong commitment, and I'm going to, I'm going to use lowercase s strong, such a strong commitment, strong commitment in the standpoint of our culture doesn't think of this as a normal thing at all. So it's a strong commitment from that standpoint. Really, you're just asking people to pray. I mean, like how that's, I mean, this is basic Christianity, really. Um, but when you're asking for such a strong commitment in the, in the eyes of those that, uh, you know, are going to be signing up, uh, you want to include some points of accountability to make sure that it's real, to make sure that it happens, to make sure that it keeps happening, to, 
to keep people like on board. Um, otherwise, the sacred trust uh, loses meaning and it kind of starts to fall apart. So part of it, part of why you want to have an accountability structure behind actually now once somebody has signed up, part of the reason you want to have an accountability structure is to keep the sacred trust meaningful to keep it intact, uh, and, uh, and to keep it a, a system that's believable, that has buy-in. Um, you know, you go to a, uh, you know, a place and maybe it's, maybe it's a movie theater that you're used to going to. And, and it says, you know, um, it says something like on the wall, there's a sign that says, uh, staff only beyond this point. But every time you go there, there's always like people back there eating snacks and hanging out that don't, that aren't staff. It's like, the more you see that, the less that sign means at all. I mean, you're like, well, they don't even enforce that. Like, what does it mean, staff only beyond this point? Like, there are people over there playing football. Like, they don't have a, a uniform on or whatever. They're just, they're just here, just doing whatever. The more times that people breach the policy and people see people breaching the policy, the less the policy means at all. It just, it's, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the, you know, no smoking, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, man, this one's a, this one's actually a pretty good example. So, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, you know, there were no smoking signs, uh, you know, at hospitals, but now there's no smoking signs on the front porches of hospitals that say no smoking within 50 yards or a hundred yards of this building. It's like they increased the accountability. Why? Probably because about a hundred people were walking in and blowing their last uh, uh, bit of smoke into the foyer as they're walking in. They threw away the cigarette, and now they're walking in, and they're they're still smoking. And smoke is getting into the building, you know. And the whole point of the rule was to try to keep smoke out of the building. So then they extended the border a little bit. Well, that's a pretty good example of those that like actually believed what they said, and they're like, "No, we got to hold this thing. We got to do this thing." And then obviously the kids playing football behind the no. Uh, non-staff beyond this point thing is a, is a bad example. You want to, you want to create a, uh, a system of accountability that actually helps hold people to the thing that they said they were going to do. And be nice, be chipper, bake brownies. I mean, be nice to people, but don't not hold the standard. Um, man, there are so many leaders right now that are in this, in the, in the crucible of this, not for prayer meetings, but just for a hundred things where they know the line that they need to hold, but the pressures are so intense that it's a lot easier to just give in. It's a lot easier to just not make a big deal of it. You know, I mean, so in our generation, the whole issue of abortion and, and uh, homosexuality, you know, it's like, well, the Bible says don't murder. And the Bible says, you know, that marriage is between a man and a woman. So, we don't need to be mean about it, but we can't change the standard and we have to speak up. But there's so many times when there are things that are being brought before us that are challenging. And the easiest thing is just to kind of bow out and go, yeah, I don't really want to fight that battle. Well, as regarding the sacred trust, you, you got you to fight that battle again and again and again, and it's never over. You always got to do it. You got to uphold the standards. And, and so uh, what we're going to talk about uh, in this session is developing a system of accountability that keeps the sacred trust a sacred thing, that keeps it meaningful instead of that sign uh, at the movie theater that says no, non or only stop beyond this point that everybody breaks and everybody thinks it's a joke. So what's that look like? Well, part of what I want to point out in this is what I've got here is called the lost art of confrontation. <clears throat> confrontation... Uh, 
we've decided is a negative word, like cancer, you know, the confrontation cancer. They both start with C, they got to be bad. We've decided that confrontation is bad. Confrontation is necessary. I mean, without confrontation, societies collapse. Confrontation is the fact that, like, there's laws in our culture that say don't murder, you know, and if you murder, you're a murderer. That's bad. Don't do that. And then there's consequences. Like, that's a confrontation. We wouldn't call it uh, a bad thing for a murderer to get locked up because they murdered. I mean, but that was confrontation. It's not a bad thing. It's a necessary thing. That's not a lot of fun all the time. But one of the the lapses uh, of integrity in our generation is that there has been a, a mass exodus of those who are willing to have confrontational conversations. And... As a result, you've got parents that are letting their kids go crazy. I mean, I'm talking like the three-year-old at the grocery store, you know, letting their kid just go crazy because the parents aren't willing to have a confrontation with their child and say, listen, that's not acceptable behavior. Uh, And then those three-year-olds grow to be 13-year-olds. And now the issue isn't temper tantrum at the store. Now the, the... the thing is guns and whatever else, bringing stuff to school and all kinds of stuff and disrespect to authority and all those different things. We're living in a generation that we really need to get back a hold of graceful versions of having confrontational conversations when it's the right thing to do. And it's the right thing to do a lot of time. Not every time, but a lot. A lot more than is happening. And so there's been this lost art uh, of, uh, of confrontation. We're living in a culture... It's become so used to seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ live in sin and nobody say anything. There, there is zero place for that in the New Testament, but it has become normal. We're used to watching our brother, or our sister in Christ. Maybe they're a family member. They're a friend. They're somebody that we know. We're watching them live in a blatant sin. It's like a really big issue. And nobody says anything to them. And I don't mean you call them out and go, you're a sinner. You're going to die and go to hell. I mean, Hey, you do know this is sin, right? Like you do know this thing that you're doing, like it's not okay, right? You do know that, right? And nobody wants to have that conversation. And so as a result, the entire uh, conscience of our generation is being seared because nobody's saying anything. And so you got all these people that are living ways that they shouldn't and nobody's calling them out. And then if anybody does dare to call them out, that person is looked at as a bigot. That person is looked at as religious. That person is like, no, the Bible says like we're supposed to live holy. Like being holy is he's holy. I mean, it says sexual immorality is not okay. It says, it says we're, we're, it actually says we're not supposed to cuss. I mean, it like says stuff. Like it says, it says stuff. Like let's just, we're all weak, but let's not let our weakness get a, give us an excuse to just do whatever we want. The point is, Nobody is willing to confront, I'm nobody, I mean, very few people are willing to confront because it's painful. I mean, to have a confrontational conversation with somebody where you go, hey, this thing, this actually isn't right. Like, this is right, and that's not right. Like, that's not fun, but it's necessary. And it's uh, it's something that we really need uh, to to get a hold of as as the body of Christ just as a whole. I mean, all of us. I mean, I think about how many times in a week that comes up where I'm just like, man, I know I need to have that conversation, but I just don't want to. I just don't want to have that conversation. But I know I need to because I know that it's the right thing to do. 
I just don't want to because I'm tired, because I'm bored, because they might get mad at me, because it's not any fun. But I know I need to have that conversation. I mean, we're all there. So this, this is a background point for why it's so hard to hold people accountable to prayer meetings. Because the culture doesn't hold anybody accountable to not living in sexual sin. I mean, there's, there's people in all the churches around here that are living in sexual immorality that are going to church every Sunday and people around them sitting at the pews next to them know they're in sexual immorality and say nothing. That's totally not okay. It's totally crazy. So then of course, when we start going, Hey, you said you were going to be at the prayer meeting. You're not at the prayer meeting. Of course, that looks like we're crazy. Of course, that looks like we're the most religious people on the planet, on planet earth, because we've got a culture that has so lowered the bar and that doesn't ever call each other out. And when I say call each other out, I mean in love, in kindness, behind closed doors. I don't mean from a pulpit, mean, you're a shunner. I mean, that's dumb. Like, don't do that. Who would ever respond well to that? But going to a brother or sister in private and going, listen, there's this issue in your life. And do you know this? Do you like, do you know what the Bible says? Like, look at this passage. Turn open the Bible. Look right here. Like, how do you, what's going on in your head? Like, regarding this, how are you doing? Like, what can I do to help you? That's what I mean by calling somebody out. But because so little of that's happening, we've got a culture that is not thinking about the importance of, uh, you know, following the Bible, let alone letting their yes be yes. And Jesus is the one that said that. He said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Like, like do what you say you're going to do. And, uh, and so this idea of holding people to a commitment uh, uh, just is very counterculture. Very. And you'll be accused of being religious and controlling. And again, controlling is the method in which you, you speak to somebody and the objective, the end objective. It's not that you're talking to somebody about something that's right or wrong. That's not controlling. The issue is the way that you're conveying it and what is the end result that you're trying to get. You will come rub my back. I mean, it's like, well, that's pretty controlling. But it's like, Hey, you said you were going to do prayer meetings. Like, you didn't come last week. Like, what's the deal? You're controlling me. No, you you're, you signed up for prayer meetings. You're the one that did it. I'm just trying to ask you about the thing you said you were going to do. That's not controlling, but you will be accused of it. And so I just want to tell you that on the front end, because it's helpful for you to know that. I remember the first few times I had to process through that. And I'm like, wait, am I being controlling? Like, I don't think so. I mean, I just, I mean, they said they were going to do prayer meetings. And we, that's what we do around here. Like, is this controlling? I just really had to work through that. So I just want to spare some of you as you start prayer ministries and ask people to actually be accountable to the things they say they will do, that that's not being controlling. That's, that's good leadership. That's wisdom. That's, that's life under the sun. That's Christianity, actually. And uh, again, do it nice instead of being mean about it. But, but uh, part B here, making commitments to God. Look at this passage. This is awesome. Uh, Psalm 15, 1 through 5, a little excerpt here. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Now, the psalmist here is telling us that commitments are good. And keeping commitments when they're hard is good. It's like, it's saying this is actually a way to not be shakable. Like this is actually healthy 
This is actually good. This is godly. This is the description of those that get to draw near to the Lord. Those that walk in righteousness, they speak truth from their heart, and they keep their oaths, and they don't change their mind. They're not just blown around by, well, I just don't feel like it today. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been kind of bored. You know, I mean, just like they, they like hold their commitments. And the psalmist says, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Commitments to God are good. Commitments to God aren't bad. Commitments to God are holy, wisdom. I mean, you know, God's the one that said, you know, test me in this regarding the tithe. That's like asking people to commit to the tithe. That's not religious. That's helpful. That's like good. God likes that. You know, asking people like to process through the idea of like spending time reading the Bible every day. That's good. This is, these aren't bad things. These are helpful things. And so don't let people try to talk you out of calling them uh, to be accountable to prayer meetings by using the religious card and saying, well, that's religious. That's not good. God doesn't want us to do that. Yes, he does. He totally does. He's the one that told us to do all this stuff. He's the one that told us the wisdom of, of rallying together and having leadership and making commitments. And here's the psalmist. And this is just one of, you know, a bunch of different passages I could have given you about the concept of making a commitment and keeping it. That's good. That's godly. That's perseverance. That's pressing through. Uh, the, the concept of faithfulness, perseverance, and uh, uh, not quitting um, is like one of the main pillars of New Testament Christianity as, as expressed in the New Testament. It is that concept of perseverance, not quitting, faithfulness, uh, you know, any other words that you can come up with, enduring to the end, all those enduring, patience, faithfulness, all those things mean the same thing. And that is believers are supposed to do right and not stop doing right. Do not grow weary and well doing. I mean, it's, that's like New Testament Christianity. So calling people to keep their commitments and to stay faithful to something that's not you being religious. That's you being helpful. You're saying, listen, this is godly to make commitments and then to do them. And when you mess up, that's okay. Just like repent, push delete, and keep going. But don't like defend it and go, I have a right to do whatever the heck I want to do. No, don't, don't get into that. That's a bad spirit. That'll, that'll mess with you. That'll, that'll wind up causing your heart to be way harder than you want it to be. Um, but, uh, but most people have never had anybody call them out on a commitment. I mean, most people have never had him call him out on a sin, let alone a commitment. You know, hey, you said you wanted to do this. I just want to see where you're at on that. Uh, you're, are you doing it? No. Well, do you want to do it? No, not anymore. Well, what about this? I mean, this is it's a good thing to make commitments and to keep doing them. And you're the one that made that commitment. I just want to help hold you to the thing you said you wanted to do for God. Like, that's good. Calling people forward. Uh, one of the uh, points that I just want to point out in this is this concept of um, building a system of accountability. You know, uh, the passage, you got it at the top of the next page, I think. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and uh, I think this has been uh, a, a bit misinterpreted uh, uh, sometimes, this passage. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, he says, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves do not lift one finger to help them. I think the way that this is most commonly interpreted is that it's bad to make a lot of commitments and that leaders that call their people to make a lot of commitments are bad leaders that are being mean. Well, it's actually not what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees' job in life was to lead the people. Now, they had a bad heart, at least in Jesus' day. Many of them had a bad heart. But it was their job to lead the people. 
Commitments aren't bad. Commitments weren't the problem. Here's what Jesus is rebuking them for. Saying you're asking them to do things that are unreasonable and second rebuke. This is unrelated to the first rebuke. Then you as a leader don't do anything to help them keep the commitments that you've asked them to make. You are a bad leader because you're not helping them keep the commitments that you put on them. So two, twofold. One, asking them to make unrealistic commitments. Loading people down with burdens they can't hardly carry. So asking too much of people, that's, that's a wisdom point. Like as a leader, we don't want to ask people to do something that's going to crack them. It's going to break them. But asking them to commit to a prayer meeting could not be further from that. You're talking about getting them into a prayer room so they'll connect with God more. Like that is not this. Okay. So, so Jesus was rebuking them twofold. Rebuke one, you ask them to do things that aren't even good ideas, that aren't even biblical. And you, you put these heavy yokes on them, this heavy weight. Rebuke one. Rebuke two, you don't do anything to help them make or to keep the commitments after they've made them. So here's the thought process that I want to propose. Let's set the bar high. Come to a prayer meeting every week at the same time. If we call that a high bar, which again, I think Christianity as a whole, if that's the high bar, we probably need to grow up a little bit. But let's call that the high bar, okay? Come to a prayer meeting. Come to the same prayer meeting every week, the one that you commit to. Let's say that's the high bar. And then they're having a hard time keeping that because inconsistencies with their car, uh, because uh, job circumstances, because of this, because of that, because of whatever those things are. You as the leader, help them. Help them keep the commitment. Do everything you can. I encourage uh, people to come up with creative ways to help people keep their commitments. Make a phone call. See if you can help them. Hey, I noticed that you haven't been able to come. Like, is there anything we can do to help process? Well, man, Wednesdays, I just, I can't, I can't do it anymore on Wednesdays because of this or this. Okay. Well, could you change nights? Oh yeah, I can do that. I didn't know I could change nights. Yeah, don't do Wednesdays anymore. Can you do Tuesdays instead? Yeah. Yeah, I can do Tuesdays. Great. You just help them, you know? Well, man, on Tuesdays, though, I don't have a ride, okay? What if we found a way to get you picked up and brought here on Tuesdays? Could you do that? Man, that'd be awesome. I didn't know you guys would do that. Yeah, we'll do that. We will lift a finger to help you keep your commitment. We will go out of our way to help you. Like, you, what, you need a gas money? Somebody will give you $5 around here. We'll find $5. Well, I can't come because I don't have gas money. We'll find you $5 so you can keep your commitment. Like, come up with ways to help them do whatever it takes to help them keep the commitment. To build a community that way gives such strength to the community. Everybody knows they can lean on each other and that there's real love in the midst. Again, Jesus was rebuking these leaders, the Pharisees, not because they were leaders. Leaders have to lead people. Leaders that don't lead people aren't leaders. So leaders' job is to say, this is what we're doing. Let's go for it. Jesus was rebuking them because the thing that they said, let's go for it, was weighty, so weighty they couldn't carry it. It was a burden that they were crumbling underneath. Second point, he rebuked them because they weren't doing anything to go out of their way as leaders to help those people be successful in the things that they'd asked them to do. Well, just have an opposite spirit. And as a leader, don't set the expectations to a point that are unrealistic, that they can't pull off. And second, Help them make the commitment. Help them. 
Come up with ways, invent ways, strategize ways. Maybe it's a money thing. Maybe it's a transportation thing. Maybe it's just an encouragement thing. Maybe they just feel so depressed. They're just so depressed. What if the way that you help the person keep their commitment was you call them uh, the, the afternoon. Let's say they've got a Tuesday night prayer meeting. And let's say you decided the way you're going to help them keep their commitment is every Tuesday afternoon before their prayer meeting, you call them and you just pray for them on the phone and tell them how awesome they are for 10 minutes on the phone. And now you've given them strength to get up out of bed and come to the prayer meeting that night. What if that's all they needed? Well, they're not coming to prayer meetings because they're lazy at home and they're, they're sad. Maybe all they need is somebody just to encourage them. Like help them keep the commitment. Go out of your way and strengthen your brother or your sister. And this is just, this is just love 101. And so I am a firm believer in having clear expectations, having, uh, a, uh, having a, a, a bar, like let's set the bar a little bit higher than opposed to a little bit lower. Like let's set a high bar and then let's have lots of grace on one another when we don't meet the bar and let's do everything we can to help one another to meet the bar. And what we'll do is we'll live better. We'll live more effectively. We'll live more focused. We'll get more done. We'll, we'll be more productive. Uh, you know, the New Testament says, do not become unproductive in your faith. Like, let's live productive lives for Jesus. Let's encounter him. Let's, let's set that bar high and then just have a lot of grace on each other. Let's communicate well. Let's love well. And let's help each other to meet that bar instead of lowering that bar that everybody can jump over the hurdle and it doesn't mean anything. Like, let's actually call each other on in the Lord. Like, let's let's reach for God. Let's reach further. And just let the communication be kind. Again, those that are having a hard time meeting uh, the expectation of the sacred trust, they signed up and they're not doing it. They know they're not doing it. Have your, when you have that conversation with them, or somebody does, be kind. Be kind to the communication. Let them know, listen, I know this has probably been tough for you. What can we do to help? You know, well, anybody that you approach that way, any reasonable person is going to go, man, I'm glad you're asking that way. I'm struggling so bad with this part of it. I don't know how to do this. I can't navigate this. Okay, well, let's see what we can do to help you. Instead of you going and going, hey, dummy, you're not showing up to your prayer meetings because you're dumb. Why aren't you coming, dumb, dumb? I mean, it's like if you're mean to people, of course, they're going to respond mean or they're going to respond defensive. But if you go to people and you go, hey, I know this has probably been tough. Like, what can we do to help? Most people are going to go, man, I'm so, I'm so glad that that's your attitude. Here's what's going on. Help me. Awesome. Everybody wins. So, uh, so that's the, that's the way to talk about it. Okay. Now, uh, number two, and this is a, this is a very important, uh, component of administrating the sacred trust. You've got to give way at some level and you work through all that. I'll tell you what we do, but you've got to come up with a system that works within your environment that you feel is appropriate as a leader that gives way for people to have excused absences. If you have a, a, a situation or a, a structure that doesn't ever allow anybody to miss ever for any reason, ever, no matter what, if their arm gets cut off, they still can't miss, um, you're going to uh, cause problems for yourself. And it's not realistic. I would say that is the thing that, that would be rebukable by the Lord regarding the, hey, leader, you set the expectation uh, beyond what people could do. And, uh, and that wasn't fair. And so to say that people can't ever miss for any reason ever, uh, probably is, uh, is not going to be the best way to lead. So you need to come up with like real scenarios of what's an excused absence and what's not an excused absence. Having a list of excused absences will actually help you have people come to meetings more because 
What it does is it gives them permission to miss when it's the right thing, and it also lets them look at the list of right excusable absences and lets them look at it and go, you know what, that's reasonable. That's a reasonable reason to miss. That's a reasonable reason to miss. My reason tonight of just wanting to, you know, go to the baseball game, it's probably not a reasonable reason to miss. And they can see it when you've got clear, excused reasons of why that they uh, they can miss. In other words, uh, you need reasons that it's okay for people to be able to miss their prayer meetings. And that's that's helpful. That's empowering. That's a way to lift a finger to help people in their process. So I'll give you a couple of points here. First thing, on, on the large, by the majority, let people pick their own prayer meetings instead of you picking them for them. If somebody comes up and they're like, hey, I want to get involved. I've been hearing about the sacred trust thing. I want to I pick a prayer meeting or two. Which prayer sets do you need uh, the most help with? I mean, they're asking you. But for the most part, don't approach people and say, hey, I need you to join this prayer meeting. You got to do it. Let people pick their prayer meetings. And the reason why is now it's so much easier to hold people accountable to their decision instead of your decision. You let them pick the prayer meeting. You got five prayer meetings a week or 10 or whatever you're doing. Let them pick. And, uh, and what I always encourage people to do is, let's say you're doing five prayer meetings a week. You're doing Monday through Friday nights, okay? Ask them, say, listen, commit to one and then come to the other four if you want to. That'd be great. It'd be awesome to have you here every night. But commit to one. You pick the one or two. But don't commit to all five. Commit to one or two and then and then come to as many of them as you can. But but commit to be there no matter what, you know, uh, one or two times a week. Let them pick. So now when they don't come, now you go, listen, you're the one that picked Monday nights. Like, I didn't tell you you had to do Monday nights. That was you. You decided that. And part of the reason that you want for them to be able to pick instead of you assign it is they know in their world and in their hobbies and in their family life and in their aspirations and in their work life and in their whatever, in their world, they know which times are typically more conflicting than others. Like, let's say they're a baseball fan. They're like hardcore baseball fan. And baseball games happen on such and such days or something. I don't know. You know, for their, for their little league, for their son or daughter or whatever. Um, it's like, uh, well, they know those are Tuesday night games and Monday night practice. Well, then encourage them not to pick Tuesday nights because they have, they would have a game, you know, most of the time or some of the time, let them pick the night or the time or the morning, whatever your prayer meeting times are. This is helpful because then you're able to help them hold, hold them accountable to their decision. They're the one that picked that prayer meeting. You didn't pick it for them. You didn't tell them they had to do it. Uh, and so it's easier to, uh, hold people to a schedule that they themselves picked. And if they need to change, let them change. Well, I thought Tuesday nights were going to be great, but then it turns out this happened. Da, da, da. I need to change the Thursday nights. Great. Change the Thursday nights. Done. Conversation over. You win. Thursday nights it is. Really? I can change? Sure. Change. Great. We'll move some things around. We'll make that work. And you try to make people fit into a specific box of what you need, uh, unless they're like a staff member, and even then, you got to be flexible. But uh, uh, but if you try to make them fit into your box, what if your box and their box conflict? Well, eventually, you'll just frustrate them. So let them pick the meeting, first off. Second, encourage them in the process of them picking. Encourage them with this language. Other than the excused absences, 
And we'll read these excuse absences in a minute. And I'm just going to read you what ours are. You come up with your own list. You do whatever you think makes sense. But other than these excused absences, we ask that people are proactive, that you go out of your way, that you are intentional, that you, you make efforts, that you spend energy. We ask that you be proactive in scheduling your personal life around these prayer meetings that you're committing to, instead of allowing your personal life to have the priority over the prayer meetings. We want you to make the priority the prayer meetings and make your personal life what happens in, in the gaps. And so things like, well, you know, uh, my parents want to take me out for a birthday dinner. Awesome. Ask them if they'd be willing to take you out to birthday dinner after your prayer meeting instead of during it. Or if, ask them if they'd be willing to take you out for the birthday dinner the next night. Well, the next night's not my birthday. Be proactive, man. You're the one that committed to Wednesday nights. I can't help that your birthday falls on a Wednesday every now and then. Like, figure it out. <laughs> like, be proactive. Do the dinner before or after or on the weekend or the next night instead of picking the, the dinner time right in the middle of the prayer meeting that you committed to. Be proactive. Go out of your way. Well, I mean, my friends asked me to go do this thing. Listen, be proactive. Find a way around it. Most of the time, people are so worried about missing out on fun. They're like so worried that they're going to miss out on something fun that, they've, that they'll prioritize fun over their prayer meetings. They just want to address it on the front end and go, listen, we know this is like a cultural dynamic. People love fun. We want to ask you to be proactive, to schedule your fun around your prayer schedule instead of letting your prayer schedule suffer because you want to do something fun. And, you know, most of the time, if you ask mom and dad to do birthday dinner after the prayer meeting or tomorrow night, they're going to say, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, why can't we do it this time? Oh, I got a prayer meeting. All right, that's weird, but okay. And that's done. And then they take you out to dinner the next night instead of Wednesday night. I mean, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. So we ask people to be uh, proactive. The, uh, the, the next point, and I'll just say this is a big-time important one, especially for all uh, of us houses of prayer and prayer ministries and praying churches. The, the majority of the people involved are going to be volunteers. And that's going to be the case everywhere. I mean, there are very few houses of prayer anywhere that aren't this way. The majority of the people involved in your prayer ministry are going to be volunteers. And so with that being the case, this is a really important point. With a predominantly volunteer environment, we've just found the easiest way to navigate things because there's so many, well, if this, if that, it was just, it was difficult to communicate. It was difficult to keep people accountable to it. It was difficult for a hundred different reasons. We just said the easiest way as a, uh, a given ex uh, uh, excused absence is if they're out of town for any reason. You're out of town to go to the birthday party, but the birthday time is birthday party is out of the Metroplex. You're out of town on vacation. You're out of town for this. You're out of town for that. You're just having a really rough day. You left town. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, like, if you're out of town, excused absence across the board. We just found that to be the easiest way. And that way, it always gives people who really, really, really need an out, an out. If you're out of town, you got an out. And we just made that a universal uh, rule. And it, it makes it really easy uh, uh, to uh, keep people accountable to it. Because it's like, well, were you out of the city? I don't mean were you across town. I don't mean like you were in Carrollton. Carrollton's still part of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. So that doesn't count. I mean, you were out of the, the Metroplex. 
that's out of town. Well, okay, well then you're excused. And uh, we found that to be the easiest blanket, helpful, give everybody an out, give everybody a little flex room, sort of a uh, a point. Uh, and it doesn't give everybody a lot of flex room, but it gives people at least a little bit. It's It's helpful. So other than that, other excused absences we define as the following. Being sick enough to merit not coming. So I don't mean they've got a little bit of an allergies deal or a manageable cough. All of us have manageable coughs and a little bit of allergies and my eyes itch and, and my toes hurt. Everybody deals with that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being sick enough that it actually merits not coming to your prayer meeting. Having a family emergency. If there's ever a requirement with the local church. So, uh, you know, people go to a church and, um, and their pastor is doing a, you know, a Thursday night outreach. Great. Go to that. Get a fill in. If you, if you're like a singer or something, don't leave us hanging, get a fill in. But, uh, but that always counts. Uh, well, what if the pastor just wants me to come up there for, uh, you know, tea and crumpets night? We're just, we're going to have our crumpets. Gotta love those crumpets. So man, if that's what your pastor wants you at, he wants you there, then you go up there and you do it. And that, if that's what your pastor says he wants, then go for it. If there's ever a unavoidable work conflict. So here's what I mean by unavoidable work conflict. Your boss comes up to you and says, hey, listen, uh, can you stay late tonight and, uh, and do this project? And tonight's the night you've got your prayer meeting. And you go, um, I can. Uh, I've, got this, I've got this appointment that I need to be at. Is there any way, boss, that I could come in early tomorrow and do it instead of staying late tonight? Oh, yeah, you could do that. Great. That's not an unavoidable work conflict. That was unavoidable work conflict. Same question, same scenario. Your boss says, hey, I need you to stay late tonight. It's prayer meeting night. And uh, I need you to do this thing. It's probably going to take you an hour or two. And you ask the question and your boss says, no. And not only that, uh, you don't get a bonus this year because you're at. Congratulations. That is an unavoidable work conflict. Your boss wins. Your boss won't let you out of the thing. Do what your boss says. He's your boss. He's your employer. That's your livelihood. I got it. Same thing with school. School conflict, unavoidable versus avoidable. And the difference is you tried. If you tried and you failed, well, say la vie. But if you didn't try, then it was it might have been avoidable. So that would be an unexcused absence. But if you tried, if you asked the boss, hey, could I do it tomorrow? Could I, could I come in? Could I stay late tomorrow? Could I do this? Could I call you? Can I do it from home? You know, you ask the question and they said no. Well, you go, okay, well then yeah, I'll do it. Um, but, but you tried. So we call anything that's not on that list an unexcused, uh, uh, absence. And the only other thing we give. So here, here are the three categories. Category one is out of the Metroplex. That's an easy out. Okay. That means you, you got a, uh, an, uh, an excused absence if you're out of the Metroplex. Second, if it falls into that list, you have a family emergency. I mean, you, we've had people before where they're like, you know, their kid has to go to the hospital or something. They're like, well, go, go, please. You know, or they've got something wrong with them or they're in the hospital or whatever. I get all that. That's, I totally got that. Um, so anything that's on this list, uh, avoidable or unavoidable work conflict, church requirement, school requirement, family emergency, really sick, any of those things, that all counts. So category one is out of the Metroplex. Category two is all that stuff. Third is what we call in-town days. And what we just decided was we went, you know what? We're trying here. We're trying to do the best we can to be, to be as helpful as possible, to not make a yoke that's so heavy people can't carry it. What do people do 
if they want to go to a wedding. It's like their best friend. Well, that's not on unavoidable. And if it's in the city, I mean, it's easy if it's in Austin, because then it's out of town. But what if their best friend is getting married during their prayer meeting next weekend or something? Like, well, how does that work? What do you do? We came up with this concept and we just said, those kinds of circumstances are going to happen from time to time. A really important wedding shower, baby shower, or something. These kinds of things are going to come up. But the truth of the matter is, the really important ones don't come up every week. I mean, they come up pretty seldom. The one that, like, two two things. It's really important and you just feel like you can't miss it. That's a, that's. There's not too many of those in your life, by the way. Second, it happens to fall during a prayer meeting you're committed to. I mean, those are two pretty specific reality points. The point is, it doesn't happen very often. It happens, but not very often. What we said is we just decided, hey, listen, everybody on the Sacred Trust gets two excused in-town days in the year. So you got two weddings you can go to, or two baby showers, or a baby shower and a wedding, or a this and that, or whatever. You know, it's best friends coming in from out of town. They're only going to be at the airport for six hours. They got a layover. You haven't seen them in five years. Uh, they got a layover at DFW. You want to go meet them there, but that's going to mean that you're going to miss your prayer meeting. You get two of those a year. And we just said, look, manage them well. If it's not worth using one of those in-town days, we suggest you don't. But if it's one of those that you really, really need, then do it. And as a result, we've been able to keep the peace a lot better. Yeah. Because every now and then, those things come up. They're rare, but when they come up, it's a point of contention if you don't have enough, if you don't have some sort of a, a system for it. You know, because you go, well, sorry. That's we used to do that. You go, well, sorry. I mean, I missed my best friend's uh, uh, reception at his wedding because I'd be at a prayer meeting. I mean, like, this is real, you know? So we've since then added this in to be able to give people a little bit of flexibility. Those situations don't come up very often, but when they do, it's nice to be able to have uh, these uh, in place. And so on, you know, so when people do that, then they just mark that they were using an in-town day. They get two a year uh, on the sacred trust. So what I want to do now is I want to touch on how the system works real quick, and then we'll do uh, a little bit of Q&A. So I've given you all the, you know, why we do it this way uh, and a couple of the excused, you know, absence things. Now I want to talk about on a week to week basis, how does the sacred trust flow? It's really simple. We have a, and you want to make it simple. We have a commitment form. It's a piece of paper. The piece of paper says, here's what the sacred trust is. Uh, sign it if you're in and pick a prayer meeting and then uh, write down the prayer meeting on the piece of paper. And it's a real simple little piece of communication that just says, Hey, I'm in. I'm going to join the sacred trust. And anybody that wants to join the sacred trust has to fill out a piece of paper. So real simple. And it, it says on there, when the the uh, prayer meeting is that they're committing to prayer meetings, how many they want to commit to. Second, post the schedule and post all of the names of those who are committed to each prayer meeting. This is a great piece of accountability because as soon as you've got it posted for everybody to be able to see, and you know, I mean, if uh, in a perfect world we'd have it up on a wall, but uh, we just don't have the space and and all that right now. But we've got it in a book in a sign in sheet. And that sign-in sheet is something that everybody can go see. So anybody at any point could go see what prayer meeting is so-and-so committed to. Oh, they're supposed to be here at Tuesday nights from 7 to 9. They could look at it and they go, oh, well, they're not here. And it's 7.05. We post it so that everybody can see it. It's a great uh, open source accountability for the whole community. Because anybody at any point can look up your records, you know, and see, 
hey, are you at the prayer meeting you're supposed to be at? Or, or even just, oh, I want to surprise them tomorrow night. Man, I know, I know tomorrow's their birthday. I wonder, wonder if they're going to be up here. Uh, oh, they are. The man, they're on the seven to nine set. It's a cool little fun thing like that, too, because you can kind of know when people are going to be up here and bring them a special bouquet of flowers or a cookie or something. And so uh, anyway, you have it posted for everybody in the community to be able to see. It's a great accountability point because now everybody knows and it's visible for everybody to be able to tell uh, what people are doing. <clears throat> have people use that, uh, that uh, accountability system as their sign-in sheet. We just created a really simple Excel doc. And you know, on the left side of the paper is all the people's names that are committed to prayer meetings. And then uh, across the top, are all the different prayer sets that we have. And then the grids create little boxes that are intersection points uh, so that when somebody is actually at that meeting, Tuesday nights, my name, 7 o'clock, there's a little grid there, and I just mark a little X when I get here. And that means that I'm on time. And uh, and those uh, that is another point of the accountability and really helps with the way that this whole thing works regarding the follow-up system, which we'll touch on in just a second. So real simple sign-in sheet. They just, every week we print out a new one and uh, you just mark an X when you're here, uh, mark an L if you're late, and uh, and obviously you don't mark anything if you weren't here because you weren't here, so you weren't here to mark it and uh, leave it blank. And uh, those let us know whether people were either here on time, late, or not here. Now something that we used to do and uh, that we've done in the past, and uh, we still do a little bit, but uh, uh, not as much as uh, we were in earlier days, and it, it's actually very helpful, and I think we ought to probably get back to this, is phone calls before the meetings. So you go, well, what does that look like? In our world, we say that uh, being on time to your prayer meeting, like let's say the prayer meeting starts at 7, let's say you get here at 7, we call that late. We actually say if you're not here 10 minutes before the prayer meeting, so the prayer meeting starts at 7, you got to be here at 6.50. And the reason for that is to make sure you're actually here. And to make phone calls, those that are here or the, and appoint somebody, maybe it's the prayer leader, maybe it's an usher, maybe it's a leader, maybe it's you, somebody, to make phone calls to those that aren't here 10 minutes before. I don't know how many times we've heard a groggy voice pick up on the other end of the phone and go, oh, hello? Oh, man, I missed my alarm. Thank you so much for calling me. And now they're, they show up late, but at least they show up. And they didn't mean to miss. They were just tired, you know, or, or people... I've had this happen too before. It's even happened to me once or twice. I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot I was supposed to be there. I, I totally, I'm coming right now. Like, because somebody called 10 minutes before the meeting, it gives me 10 minutes to get here. Um, or something bad's going on in their life and you didn't even know about it. You call 10 minutes before the meeting. Hey, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, so and so, you're on your way. You okay? Oh man, I just got in a car accident. Like, Oh, this thing's so bad. I'm like so mad right now. Well, let me pray for you. Do you need help? Can we send somebody to help you? Like calling 10 minutes before the meeting isn't just an accountability point. It's helpful. It's helpful to help them meet their commitment. It's helpful to find out if they're okay. It's just helpful. It's a good idea. And so uh, that's something that uh, that I strongly recommend, especially as you're smaller, uh, that you've, been, you've got that ability to be able to have that high touch, just connection point. And, uh, and sometimes you call and, and people are like, yeah, I'm not coming. I'm not, and they're upset with you. And it's like, okay, well, I tried. Uh, but, uh, but most of the time, I seriously, most of the time, I mean, it's got to be 75% or more. The person who you called is either neutral or glad you called. They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm on my way. I'm coming. I'm just up the street. I call that neutral. I mean, you didn't help them, but you didn't know that you didn't help them until you got the call. But there are those times where they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I can't believe it. I'm on my way. I'm coming. 
you know, my alarm didn't go off or whatever. That happens all the time. Uh, we have people do makeups. And so it's not uncommon. It's, it makes a lot of sense. They're like at your job. If you missed a day of work and you didn't want to take time off, if you arranged something with your boss that he'd like let you do makeup hours, you know? And if you're late, it makes sense. If you're like, you're late, you show up late, the boss is like, okay, well, you got to stay late today, you know? The concept of makeup uh, for being late or for not showing up to do your job, that like is normal. Like that shouldn't be a weird thing. So again, we're just like, let's keep this thing sacred. Like if you missed time, make up the time. I mean, if it was unexcused, again, we've got the excused absences. You were out of town for this or, you know, I got all that. That's great. But as far as the, uh, the, the, ex- the unexcused absences or the unexcused lates, all that stuff, do makeup time. And it's another point that helps keep the system together. Cause then there's accountability to it. It's not like, well, I'm just going to go late every day. Well, what's to keep you from doing that? Oh, there's a makeup policy that says if you're late a couple of times, you got to do a makeup meeting. Ooh, yeah, I guess I don't really want to be late then because that actually like uh, costs. I guess it's actually just better to be on time. Listen, rules aren't bad. Rules can be very helpful. And so, uh, so we actually have a makeup policy. And then every week, and I just encourage you in whatever administration you have of your, uh, your prayer ministries as they kind of grow, every week, we have somebody who it's their job to update the sacred trust spreadsheet and, uh, and they make, uh, you know, updates. I'll touch on that in a second. And then also they make note who was late, who didn't show up, who, you know, all those different details. And they send out an email to those people and they say, Hey, listen, so-and-so saw that you didn't make it to the Tuesday night prayer meeting from seven to nine. I uh, just want to know when you're going to do your makeup meeting. Wow. But you go, that's that's pretty intense. Well, it's actually very, very helpful to keeping the integrity and keeping the sacred trust intact. Because now you're not just saying you do prayer meetings and that we think makeups are a good idea. You're actually holding people to what it is they committed to. And people know this on the front end. It's not like we, you know, go, ha ha, we've added rules and you're in trouble now. Like they commit to a form of paper that has all this on it that says, hey, if you miss, you got to do a makeup meeting. Hey, da, da, da. I mean, it's like, it's not like it's news. It's, it's old information, but we actually hold people to the expectations right. as best we can. If they're like, you can't make me, I'm not doing it. Okay, well, we're not going to leave you on the sacred trust. We're taking you off. It's your choice. I mean, you can do whatever you want, obviously. You've made that clear. But, uh, but, but we're not going to like let you do whatever you want and still call that okay and good and normal and part of our culture. Like, we're taking you off the sacred trust. Ooh, taking me off the sacred trust. You know, don't do that. Well, actually, that really should bother you. Like to get kicked off the sacred trust means you, you really dishonored like the thing that this community is all about. So that really does matter. Like that really does matter. And you just became a visitor and you're going to get asked next week to join the sacred trust. I mean, like, I mean, that's like, it's pretty intense, you know? Um, so we send out that, uh, that weekly email to people and just say, Hey, and it's just, it's a kind little communication, uh, that just says, Hey, you know, uh, we saw this, da, da, da. uh, people updating the sacred trust each week. We've got somebody and you, I would advise you guys to have uh, somebody in your world as well that adds the new prayer meetings, the people that just added to the sacred trust. Cause somebody joined, uh, adds them into your spreadsheet. Somebody came off the sacred trust. They moved to Ohio, takes them off. And three people changed meetings 
they were doing Tuesday night, now they're doing Wednesday night, this person was doing Friday, but now they're doing Saturday morning, and they just, they change it. And that way, every week, you have an updated spreadsheet of who's doing what prayer meetings when, and it's a great, helpful communication point to everybody in the ministry, because especially as you start adding a model and those kinds of things, it's very, very helpful for everybody to go, who's on this meeting? Uh, wait, did they come off? Oh, man, they were going to be our prayer leader. Uh, you know, I mean, it's important that everybody can kind of see, and so you need that updated weekly. Having follow-up, while it may seem a little bit strenuous, having follow-up really, really helps the sacred trust to actually be more effective, more people to actually do it, to actually follow through all that. It's very, very helpful. And so I just strongly, strongly uh, advise having the sacred trust intact and keeping it intact by having regular follow-ups. So now we'll do some Q&A if there's anybody that's got any questions. Cass. For the in-town days, so if somebody is like a volunteer or you know, like on the sacred trust and such, and they get two days, is that like across the board, regardless of whether they've signed up for one sacred trust or if they're on five sacred trusts, does it increase if they have more sacred trusts and more, therefore more opportunities that they're going to be missing out on? So the question that's being asked is, um, so regarding the whole concept of in-town days and having two days a year that somebody could miss and go to the wedding shower or the whatever, um, does that number increase or decrease depending on how many prayer meetings somebody has committed to? Um, the answer in our world is no. Um, and that is not a perfect answer. Uh, I recognize the difficulty of that. The problem for us was trying to figure out how to gauge it, police it, keep track of it if the number changed. And so for those that are volunteers, um, whether they're signed up for one prayer meeting or three, uh, we left the number the same. And that can be improved upon. Uh, you guys may find that you want to do that a little bit differently. What we found, and I'm just telling you why we do it the way we do it, um, uh, is what we found is it was difficult to try to keep track of because we've got a, the person who runs the sacred trust, who like sends out the emails and keeps track of all this stuff. They have to keep track of all this information because how do you know if somebody did one in town day or if they've done 10 already this year, how do you know? We got to keep track of that. Well, to have lots and lots of different standards on different sliding scales of, well, you know, this person has five prayer meetings, so they get three at the beginning of the year. This person has one prayer meeting, so they only get one at the beginning of the year. It was a nightmare to try to keep track of. And so for our sake, because of our weakness, uh, we just said, let's just leave it at two and hope that that works. And for the most part, it's worked. We haven't really had a problem. Maybe that's just the Lord's grace has covered us. I think once we have more full-time staff and can uh, be more careful in our uh, in our math on all that stuff, I think we probably would come up with a little bit more of a fair system. Um, but we're just not there yet. And I'll just tell you, you may find that you're not there either. As you guys get prayer meetings started, there are so many little things like that that take human effort, keeping track, emails, communication, rechecking policies. Well, what do you do in the case that somebody signed up for five prayer meetings at the beginning of the year? So you allotted them four inbound days, but then three weeks later, they only went down to three prayer meetings a year. What do you do with that? I mean, they're all, it is a nightmare. So we just said, uh, this may not be the fairest, fairest way. We're just going to do two across the board because it's too much hassle to try to keep track of all of it. 
So, uh, so there's kind of our why behind our what. And again, I think, I think that could be improved upon, uh, with just a little bit of energy, but it's energy that we just didn't have to give, but great question. Great question. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Just as far as administering the sacred trust, um, which sounds like really involved, like this thing is like, you know, when you, like, it sounds basic, but then there's all, you know, as far as the follow-up and the accountability and I would, I would just like, what are some of the most, it sounds like the most challenging part would be the follow-up with people that don't, how, can you talk more about just the overall follow-up of like how you guys actually make that happen to ensure that people are actually coming to their meetings and how do you do that in a way that it's like, you know, nice and sweet and at the same time, you know, holding them accountable because it seems like, it would, it would bother some people to be called and said, Hey, you need to come to your prayer meeting, you know? So the, uh, the question is, um, just speak a little bit more on what the, the day to day follow up process looks like, um, on, uh, on people not attending their prayer meetings. So the two main points just to, to demystify it is phone calls during the moment. So it's, it's 10 minutes before the prayer meeting and they're not here making a phone call to them and just being nice. And if they don't like you or they're mad at you or your nice voice isn't happy to them, uh, you did everything you could. So as far as it depends on you, try to keep the peace. Uh, so you can't help it if they don't like your phone call. Uh, but the phone call was actually to help them do the thing they said they were going to do. And so some people won't like that and they'll be mad at you and, uh, and good for you for calling them and uh, bad for them for having bad fruit when you called them. Um, most people, uh, when they're called out, I mean, if they love Jesus, most people, when they're called out on something, like they get at least a little humble and go, you know what I did? I blew it. I'm sorry. You know? And if they don't, well, that's an issue in their life that they need to work with. I mean, they need, they need to work on that. And uh, that's not your fault. And you don't know whether that's going to be the case or not, or you just make a phone call. So, so the first point is making the phone call 10 minutes before as a way to help them and to figure out what's going on with them and figure out if everything's okay. Second point, a follow-up email that they get the week after or during the week after uh, the current week. So we do, you know, uh, Monday to Sunday. That's our, that's our uh, calendar week for, um, for uh, the sacred trust. So Sunday night, and maybe it's even Monday, the person who oversees the sacred trust looks at all the, you know, the gaps where there's nobody that wrote an X or they've got a couple of, of lates and they send out an email. And we worked hard on drafting an email that's chipper and nice so that they don't even have to write it. They don't have to write it every time. They just copy and paste. And it's just real simple. If you ever miss a prayer meeting, you'll get it. And it's just like, Hey, uh, you know, the sacred trust shows that you weren't here this uh, week and I uh, hope everything's okay. And we weren't able to hear from you. Uh, if this was a mistake, let us know. Cause maybe you were at the meeting and just didn't sign in. That's that happens. Uh, you know, so maybe if this was a mistake, uh, but if you, uh, if you did uh, miss and it was an excused, uh, would you please, you know, let us know when uh, we can, uh, you know, when you, when you'll be able to do your makeup per meeting, something like that. And it's as nice and as non-confrontational while being confrontational as it can be. And again, if people look at that and they go, I'm mad about this, that's their issue. They've got a problem with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They need to learn how to just deal with it. It was their issue. They didn't come to their prayer meeting. They said they were coming to their prayer meeting. You did everything you could. You made it nice. You weren't, you know, horsey about it. You were kind. And, uh, and you asked them when they wanted to do the prayer meeting. So it's not like you 
the email says you will do it on this day or you're a sinner. I mean, it doesn't say that. It's just, it's, it's a, it's an invitation to do what it is that they committed to do. And so the simplest answer is consistency is crucial, but so is kindness. And so be consistent in the follow-up, but be kind in the follow-up and then leave the results up to the person. And most people respond well. And the ones that don't, that's their fault, not yours. That's actually their issue. And if you can do anything to help them, help them. I'm really serious about bake the brownie thing. Like if somebody's mad at you and you bake them brownies, what does that do to them? Like you bring me brownies. Like why would you spend time baking me brownies? Because I knew you were mad at me. Well, it's hard for me to be mad at you when I'm holding brownies that are so delicious and chocolatey. I mean, it's like bacon brownies. Seriously. Buy them a, a little Starbucks card or, you know, or buy them a drink at their favorite coffee shop or buy what? Help them. Like, like, you know, uh, Proverbs says that the gift makes way for the giver. And, uh, and, and there's a bunch of other verses in there that talk about it softening the heart of the offended. And so just do everything you can to like help an offended person. But ultimately, if they're offended, that's not your fault. So don't make it your fault. Just do what's right and love them well and be kind and chipper and make them the brownie. Thank you again for tuning in to this session of the House of Prayer Leadership Podcast. We're so thankful to Brad Stroop and the Prayer Room in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas for providing this content for us to equip you. We would love for you to also check out the Presence Pioneers Podcast, which exists to help you and your community host the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer. God bless.